would you uh, turn with me please to the words of the end of the song Solomon chapter 3 Solomon of Solomon chapter 3 and reading verses 1 to 5 on my bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves I sought him but found him not I will rise now and go about the city and the streets and in the squares I will seek him whom my soul loves I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? And scarcely had I passed him when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. I endure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or those of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Many relationships uh, go through times and they go through seasons where uh, the couple, for whatever reason, uh, drifts apart and feels distant from each other. The righteous brothers capture this in their song, You've Lost That Loving Feeling, where they sang, You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. There's no tenderness like before in your fingertips. You're trying hard not to show it, but baby, baby, I know it. You've lost that loving feeling. And perhaps more recently, and this will be the only time you ever hear me quote her in a sermon. You may never hear of me again because I may be thrown out for quoting her in a sermon. But Rihanna has expressed it in her song, California King Day where she sings chest to chest, nose to nose, palm to palm, we were always just that close, wrist to wrist, toe to toe, lips that felt like the inside of a rose. So how come when I reach out my fingers, it feels like more than distance between us in this California king bed, we're 10,000 miles apart. And you know, friends, that is true in the Christian life. There are those times and there are those seasons when we can feel distant from Jesus. The closeness, the intimacy just isn't there. And this evening we're going to look at this from Son of Solomon chapter 3. And we're going to look at it under three headings. Losing the beloved, seeking the beloved, and then finding the beloved. First, losing the beloved. Look at verse 1. Here the bride focuses on losing the one who her soul loves. Before we turn our attention to these verses, it's important that we remember in the context the Song of Solomon is this ancient love song that was written by Solomon, the son of David. It's a song that celebrates human love, the love between a man and a woman. It also celebrates royal love, the love between this king and his Shulamite princess, and it celebrates divine love, the love between the Lord and his bride, his people, his church. And in chapter 2, the woman recounts the king coming to her. She's seen him leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills just to be with her. She's seen him gazing at her through the window, peering uh, at her through the lattice, looking on her with great delight. And she moves on to describe the king calling to her. Calls her my love, my beautiful one, and he calls her to arise and come with him into a season of spring and singing. 
and she's spoken about her overwhelming desire to be married to him. And she's made this great affirmation that she belongs to him and that he belongs to her. And she longs for the great wedding day that will take place when all these shadows and all these separations will flee away. But in chapter 3 and verse 1, there's a sudden change. We read, On my bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The woman finds herself in her bed by night. The word night is in the plural. It's literally, I found myself in bed by nights, night after night. This is her ongoing experience. And she finds herself looking for the one whom her soul loves. He's the one who had come to her. He's the one who had called her. He's the one whom her soul loves. Later on, she will give extensive descriptions about his appearance and his character. But the fundamental thing about him, as far as she is concerned, is that he is the one whom her soul loves. But she is unable to find him. He's gone. She's in her bed and she's looking around the room, but there's no sign of him. There's no trace of him. There's, no, there's nothing to suggest that they were ever together. She is left with nothing but the aching question, where is he? Where is the one whom my soul loves? And it continues, not just one night, but night after night after night. Now friends, as we consider this verse, and before we say anything else, we're being reminded that a Christian is someone who loves Jesus. The woman in this song sees the king as the one whom her soul loves. And the Christian is the person who sees Jesus, the son of David, the true and better Solomon, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, as the one whom their soul loves. That is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. It is about love for Jesus. And that was the question that Jesus asked Simon Peter after he had denied going in three times. It wasn't Simon, son of John, what have you done for me? It wasn't Simon, son of John, what will you do for me? It wasn't Simon, son of John, what do you know about me? It was Simon, son of John, do you love me? J.C. Ryle makes this pointed observation where he writes, We may know much, we may do much, we may profess much, we may talk much, we may work much, we may give much, we may go through much. We may make much show in our religion and yet be dead before God from want of love and at last go down to the pit. Do we love Christ? That is a great question. Without this there is no vitality about our Christianity. We are no better than painted wax figures, lifeless stuffed beasts in a museum, sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. There is no life where there is no love. And so, friends, on this last Sunday of 2021, I want to ask this most important question. This is the most important question you will hear this evening and you will have to address this evening. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Is he the one whom your soul loves? If one of the elders was to stand at the door tonight and ask you the question, do you love Jesus? What would you say? But as we consider this verse, we're also being reminded that a Christian, the one who loves Jesus, will go through seasons when it feels like Jesus is absent. The woman looks for the one whom her soul loves, but she doesn't find him. He's nowhere to be seen. 
And there are those moments, many of us here have known them, when it seems like Jesus has withdrawn his presence from us. We, we try to read the word, but it doesn't hit home like it once did. We try to pray, but it feels like our prayers are just going no higher than the ceiling, bouncing off the ceiling and hitting us on the face. We listen to sermons, we attend services, but there's a deadness in our responsiveness to them. There was once a time when we sat in church and our hearts were gripped, and yet that's no longer the case. We, we're still in union with Jesus. We've not lost our salvation, but we're not enjoying communion with Jesus. We're not aware of his nearness. We're not aware of his presence. We're not aware of his fellowship. We've, we've lost the joy of our salvation. We're like William Cowper, who famously sang, Where is the blessedness I knew when I first sought the Lord? Where is the soul refreshing you of Jesus and his word? And tonight, this verse is reminding us of that very real experience, that very real fact that Christians can go through hard seasons dry seasons where it can really feel like we have lost the one who is our first love, the one whom our souls love. And, and maybe that's true of someone here tonight. Maybe you feel that you have lost your first love. You're still in communion with him. You're, you're still in union with him. You've, you've not lost your salvation. You've lost the joy of your salvation. You've lost that communion. You've lost that closeness. You've lost that intimacy. You've lost that fellowship. And you're wondering what on earth is going on. But we move from losing the beloved to seeking the beloved. Look at verse 2 and 3. The bride now focuses on seeking the one whom her soul loves. In verse 2, we hear the woman's resolution. I will rise now and go about the city. In the streets and in the squares, I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The woman now begins a fervent search for the one whom her soul loves. Beginning of verse 2, she's in her bed and she's looking for him, but there's no sign of him. And so she decides to rise. She is not content with this state of affairs. She is not content to lie back in this condition. She resolves to get up and get out of bed and start looking. And she decides to search for him in the streets and squares of the city. And that refers to a careful, thorough, methodical search. She is going everywhere that she can as she looks for him. And she, she is even going to go into the city at night because there she is, lying in bed at night, there's no sign of him, and she's not going to say, well, I'm going to wait till morning and then I'll look for him. She gets up right away and goes through the city no matter how dark, how dangerous it might be. But the fervent search proves to be a fruitless search. Look at verse 2 again. The woman is seeking the one who her soul loves, but her search ends in disappointment and further distress. She's unable to find him. And so we move from the woman's resolution to the woman's encounter in verse 3. We read, the watchman found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? The woman is discovered by the watchman. The watchmen are the guards who patrol the city by night. They would keep an eye out for any trouble, and they would keep an eye out for anyone who might be in trouble. And they find this woman who's trying to find the one whom her soul loves. And they can tell that she's distressed. They can tell that she's disconcerted, that she's disturbed, that she's anxious, that she's upset, that she's agitated. And the woman asks them a question. 
Before they can ask her why she's going to bed so frantically, she is blurting out this question to them, have you seen him whom my soul loves? There is no small talk. There's no discussion about the weather. There's no discussion about what's happening at the local level. There's no discussion about the COVID cases and had she had they seen Gordon Jameson's latest update on Facebook that night. No, she says to them, have you seen him who my soul loves? I don't care what is going on in this community. I don't care what is going on in anybody else's life. I don't care about even what's going on in my own life. All I care about is, have you seen the one who my soul loves? That's all that she cares about, seeking and finding the king. Now, as we consider these verses, we're being reminded that a Christian should determine to seek after Jesus when they feel his absence. This woman's not content to remain in bed one minute longer than she needs to when she feels the absence of the one whom her soul loves. And so she resolves to seek him. She will not be deterred. And when a Christian feels the absence of Jesus, the withdrawal of his presence, they shouldn't be content to remain in that condition. In his commentary, Richard Brooks writes, No Christian who has the least shred of spiritual health left about him or her can rest content in such a state. There is the urgent need to go up and do something about things. No more time can be lost. And we go to every possible place asking, Where have I offended him? Where could the trouble have set in? What did I do or neglect to do which grieved him so much? Where might he have gone? My friend, if you're feeling a distance, a dullness, a deadness in your communion with Jesus, please don't settle down in that condition. The devil may not have been able to prevent you from being saved. But if he can see you saved and settled in a rut, he'll be content with that. If he can see you saved, but with no vibrant relationship with Jesus, you'll be content with that. If he can see you saved with no burning heart for the cause of Christ, you'll be content with that. If he can see you saved, but no longer engaged in outreach, no longer engaged in evangelism, no longer having any desire to worship with his people, you'll be content. And these verses are God's word to you to seek after, to search for the one whom you know your soul loves. And one of the best things that you can do when you find yourself in this condition is to talk to someone else about it. That's what this woman did. She, she went to the watchman and she said, have you seen the one whom my soul loves? It wasn't going to be a private search for her. She went to others and said, help me rekindle that relationship. Help me rekindle that communion with the one whom my soul loves. But as we consider these verses, we're also being reminded about the duties of an elder. The woman is found by the watchman of the city, and the watchman represent the elders of the church of Christ. Elders are overseers. Elders are watchmen whom Christ has gifted to his church for her well-being, for her safety, for her security. In his commentary, Malcolm McLean makes two practical observations about the eldership from these verses. 
He writes that elders are to be watchmen who are on the lookout for those who are burdened and distressed. And he writes that such elders are to be ready and able to point the burdened and the distressed to the king, to Jesus. I love the elders of our congregation. And I honestly say this, I couldn't get a more loyal and loving group of men who will support me in the work of this congregation. Uh, if I was to ever get a call from this congregation, I think uh, the calling congregation would have to pack a, a minibus so that I could take the 15 elders along with me. I cannot see myself in ministry without these guys. We've got a great bunch of elders. And this evening, I want to encourage you, brother elders, that as we enter into a new year, to be watchmen. Be watchmen. Be on the lookout for those who are distressed, those who are burdened, those who are struggling in their communion with Jesus. And be ready, brothers, to point them, not primarily to the current session, not primarily to myself, but to Jesus. Point them to Jesus. And I want to encourage you as a congregation to be encouraging our elders and to be praying for our elders as they engage in this task. You know, it can be very easy to criticise an elder. It can be very easy to focus on what they're not doing right, what they're getting wrong. But, but elders are just human and they need encouragement and they need prayer. And when they're maybe at a wit saying, be there for them, friends. They can only support you as much as you support them. And you have a group of elders who are second to none. You have a group of elders who love you. You have a group of elders who pray for you. You might think, why do these elders text me? Why do these elders get on my case when I'm not seen at places and events? Well, why are these elders sending around baking and newsletters and all these other things? It's because they care for you. Because they care for you. So please encourage them. Please pray for them. But we move from seeking the beloved to finding the beloved. Look at verses 4 and 5. The bride now focuses on finding the one whom her soul loves. Verse 4, the woman speaks about her discovery. Scarcely had I passed him when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. The woman now finds the one whom her soul loves. It would seem that the watchman have either pointed her in the direction where he's to be found or they've even walked her there themselves. Because she says, scarcely had I asked him, then I found him whom my soul loves. They have assisted her in her quest. She said to him, where is he whom my soul loves? And now she finds him, and upon finding him, she holds tight to him. Look at verse 4 again. She seizes him. She holds him close and tight. She clings to him like a limpet. She is determined not to let him go. It reminds me of my favourite scene in the film, Persuasion, and I, I know there are people in this congregation who mock me about this uh, scene. I try to show it to a number of you, but uh, you all think, what on earth is this? But in Persuasion, Anne Elliot gets this uh, wonderful marriage proposal from Captain Wentworth, 
and, uh, and it's this letter, and, and he's telling her that he's loved her for these 10 years, and, and she goes running to look for Captain Wentworth. Uh, and she runs up to him and she says, I am in receipt of your proposal and am minded to accept it. Very formal kind of engagement acceptance. But anyway, that's what she says. And he says to her, are you quite certain? Are you sure? And she says to him, I am. I am determined I will. And nothing you may be sure will ever persuade me otherwise. She is holding on to him. And that's what we have in this scene. We've got this woman clinging on to him. She's not wanting anything or anyone to separate her from the one whom her soul loves. But she does more than hold on to him. She brings him into her mother's house and into the chamber of the one who conceived her. A strange place to go, the mother's house. They don't go for a walk along the beach. They don't go for a picnic by the lake. They don't go for a trek in the hills. So maybe for some of us that would put our relationships in even more danger if we decide to go on a wee hill walking trip. Instead, they go to the mother's house. Some suggest that's a picture of them going off to be intimate with one another, but they could do that anywhere. Why the mother's house? Phil Ryken says that a healthy romance is never private. A healthy romance is never private. And here we have this woman bringing the one whom her soul loves into her family's home, where she and he can be together, but not only where they can be together, but where they can also tell the story of their relationship and share their plans for the future with her family. And in verse 5, the woman closes with a warning. We read, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the doors of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The woman has the word for the daughters of Jerusalem. These are the young women of the city. These are her friends. These are her contemporaries. And she strongly urges them not to stir up or awaken love until it pleases. She's known what it is to have her relationship with the king disrupted and disturbed by others or by something else. And she's now asking, she's pleading with these young women not to do anything that would disturb or disrupt that relationship again. She wants there to be this constant closeness, this constant communion. And so she's saying to her friends, don't get in the way of me and the one whom my soul loves. Please don't do anything that will spoil my relationship with the one whom my soul loves. Now friends, as we consider these verses, we're being reminded that Jesus will be found by those who seek. After much searching, as well as the assistance of the watchman, the woman finds the one whom her soul loves. And the word of God contains promise after promise that the Lord will be found by those who seek him. Deuteronomy 4, we read, You will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and all your soul. Proverbs 8, we read, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Jeremiah 29, we read, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Friends, the Lord has given these promises to encourage you to keep seeking when you feel there's a breach in your communion with him. The distance, the dullness, the deadness doesn't need to be the end of your story. The Lord doesn't want it to be the end of your story. Now that might not mean that you're going to be happy and dancing and full of the joys every day. You might be a, like myself and quite a moribund character. 
But you know communion with the Lord. You know he's there. You know he's with you. You know something of his closeness. Keep seeking. There's no quick fix. Some people expect it to just be a light bulb moment, and it's sometimes not a light bulb moment. That's why the Lord's given hundreds of promises that he will be found by those who seek him, because he knows that we can have a tendency to just give up because we find it too hard. But as we consider these verses, we're also being given a warning about jeopardizing our communion with Jesus. The woman warns the daughters of Jerusalem not to do anything that would disturb or disrupt her relationship and enjoyment of the one who her soul loves. And that is so important for us to hear. As Christians, our union with Christ is strong, it's stable, it's unbreakable, it's unshakable. Our union with Christ is rooted in the counsels of eternity, but our communion with Christ is very tender. It's very delicate. Can easily be broken. And this passage is saying, be careful that you don't allow anything or anyone to spoil your relationship with Jesus. And it's saying, be very careful that you don't say or do anything to anyone that would spoil their relationship with Jesus. How often, you've probably heard it before, how often have we heard Christians say, my relationship with Jesus was spoiled by what another Christian said or did. However, there's one final thought that I want to leave you with as we consider these verses. In his novel, Great Expectations, Charles Dickens sense with the union of Pip and Estella. They've come through many challenges, many heartaches, many heartbreaks, and Dickens concludes with these words. I took her hand in mine, and we went out of the ruined place, and as the morning mists had risen long ago when I first left the forge, so the evening mists were rising now, and in all the broad expanse of trample light they showed to me, I saw no shadow of another parting from her. I saw no shadow of another parting from her. It's very interesting to note, if you're, if you're a bit of a geek like me, that Charles Dickens actually had two endings to Great Expectations. One for Pippin and Estella get together, the other where they don't. And he was advised against the ending where they don't get together because everybody loves a happily ever after story. But he did publish it in a newspaper, so you can't read these two endings. But he was published in the book with having this picture of Pippin and Estella being together with no shadow of parting because everyone loves the happily ever after ending. And as we close our study on these verses with this picture of the woman holding on to the one whom her soul loves, not letting him go, we're being given a picture of the world to come, where there will be no shadow of parting between the believer and Christ. The communion will be as strong and stable, as unshakable and as unbreakable as the union. And the 18th question, have you seen him whom my soul loves, will be replaced with the rhetorical exclamation, have you seen him whom my soul loves? We will hold on to him. He will hold on to us throughout endless days. And I don't know about you, friends, but that is some prospect to consider on the last Sunday of 2018.
and 21. Maybe it's been a year where you find your communion with Christ broken, and maybe you need to work on seeking after him with the promise that he will be found by those who seek after him and think about friends. That's not going to be the end of the story for any of his people, any of those who love him, because that day is coming when there will be no more shadows of parting between us and him. What a thought as we go into 2022.